0: Just waiting for you guys to settle down. (laughs) It's great, isn't it? It's a wonderful place to be on Wednesday nights. Psalm 138. We're almost done with the Psalms. If we stay late tonight, we can finish it. Psalm 138, that's where we'll begin. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. Pastor John's got a Bible for you and read with us. We're going to cover probably Psalm 138, 139, two Psalms of David. You know, this Sunday, as you know, we've been announcing that we're going to have our 20th anniversary service, one service, 930. We're going to have a big tent in the backyard and have chairs. If you want to bring a chair, you can bring your own chair, a nice comfy chair if you want, and, and um, you're welcome to do that. And uh, we're also going to have the sanctuary here. We're going to feed in the the service on the screens in case, you know, some that come that perhaps a little bit uh, heat intolerant, you'll be comfortable in here. We want you to be here in fellowship with us. 9.30, we won't have 8 o'clock. We won't have 11 o'clock. 9.30 is our time that we're going to have service, and we're going to worship the Lord, and we're going to give thanks to the Lord, looking very much forward to it. And that's my desire, is to just honor him on Sunday and um Just really blessed that that we're going to be together as a church family. We don't get to do that with four services a week. And uh, and I hope that you can join us, invite somebody out um, on Sunday. And then on Monday through Wednesday of next week, we are going to have our children's festival out at Island Grove. And so you can uh, pre-register your kids if you'd like to do so uh, tonight out in the foyer area. And then we'll be registering kids on Sunday uh, outside. The table will be out there. We'll have a number of things on Sunday. The Grace FM uh, booth is going to be here and Frank Lopez. Who manages the station is going to be here with some giveaways, some T-shirts. I know that some of you are wearing the Grace FM T-shirts. Uh, got new ones that are coming with the new design. Uh, other things that'll be there. So we're really looking forward to it. It's going to be a blessing. And then also, um, there is going to be some other things that uh, food truck uh, for afterwards. If you'd like to, we'll have some tables set up and. Uh, you want to stay in fellowship and eat. Uh, food truck is there. Some people said, why didn't we do a potluck? We're going to do a church potluck in August. But to bring food here and have it set out all, you know, for an hour and a half or over an hour, uh, it's just a little bit much. And so um, big crowd, it gets harder. And uh, so we just decided to get a food truck. And that's going to be easier if you'd like to use that. Um, there's going to be plenty of parking um, out um, One of the things that we're concerned about, parking, what we do, and then out on the street, there'll be some parking, and then also... Uh, I believe at the Hope Center, there's some parking places over there. Now, this parking place right here next to Fast Sign, uh, we need to not park there. But um, there are going to be some guys that will be helping with the parking situation. And, uh, and um, some, you know, may have to walk a little bit. So um, parking, we'll get everybody parked. We're going to enjoy it on Sunday and looking forward to it. And then as I was mentioning, uh, you can register your children for the VBS if you haven't done so. Monday through Wednesday, Island Grove. We're really looking forward to it. And I hope you've been praying for that outreach. And I'm so excited to be able to minister to our community in that way. I think a healthy church is a church that's reaching out to our community, uh, getting outside the four walls. And uh, one of the things that uh, they're going to be doing, uh, Heather and Barbara and some of the others, is follow-up Fridays. The kids that are coming to the Lord uh, on the following Fridays Uh, for a little bit, just follow up and just disciple the kids and and make sure that they know about the Bible, they have a Bible, uh, just kind of a follow-up kind of thing. And that's really important, that when we minister to people that there's follow-up, that we follow up with them and let them know that the Lord loves them and and begin to disciple them and grow them. And and that's what they're going to be doing with those families uh, that are new, that come. And, And some people are very hesitant to come to church. And uh, so, you know, that's a a way that we can minister to them for a little bit to try to get them to where they are with a group of believers. So be in prayer. We're very excited um, as we're ministering this summer and reaching out to others uh, in this community. And I pray that we continue to do that. One of the things I was just thinking, uh, Wednesday nights has been a big part of Calvary Chapel. And uh, and I'm just blessed to see all the people that come out on Wednesday nights as we're going through Uh, the Old Testament, going through the book of Psalms, and uh, a lot of churches have given up Wednesday nights. Uh, They don't have Wednesday nights or, you know, some of them just have Awanas or, you know, uh, youth events or things like that. Um, I remember when we started Wednesday nights, just kind of like, oh, is anybody going to come? And um, waiting till five minutes before service, hoping that somebody would show up. And my family showed up, but somebody besides my family. <laughs> and, um, and, I, you know, the Lord just said, you keep doing it. You be faithful in the little things, and I'm going to bless it. You be faithful to what I've called you to do. And I'm responsible for the results. And that's something that I pray that we always remember, that as we're faithful to what God has called us to do, he's responsible for the results. And to just keep doing it and, and trust in him and rest in what he's doing. So uh, Wednesday nights have always been a big part of, of our services and um, during the week, and it's good to see so many coming out, and it's a blessing. And I know that the Lord wants to bless us tonight as we will begin in Psalm 138. As Father, we do come, and we ask that you would bless this time in the study of your word, and Lord, uh, these are very special psalms that we're going to look at tonight, penned by David, inspired by you, and we get a glimpse of how much you care for us and you love us, how much you think about us, and Lord, that you're going to complete that which concerns us. And so, Father, I pray that as we're here, our hearts would be stirred, and I know that at the end of the day, we can be tired, and we may be hungry. Some people may be come that haven't even had dinner yet, but as we take in food that is the meat of the word, as we take in uh, what you have to say to us, that it would satisfy and bless us and encourage us and build us up, make us stronger. So, Lord, we thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for all who are listening here in this building and on live stream. And so, Lord, we just come to you desiring to hear from you as we read your word, because this is the inspired word of God. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So a Psalm of David in Psalm 138. As David writes, I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods I will sing praises to you. I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. And in the day, verse 3, when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with the strength in my soul. And I love Psalm 138 because David, again, the sweet psalmist of Israel, we see that he was one that a priority in his life was to worship the Lord and give praise to the Lord. We've seen that very clearly as we've gone through the book of Psalms. At least half of the Psalms of the 150 Psalms were pinned by David, and he's always talking about praising the Lord, even in his time of trouble and difficulty. And it really has ministered to me going through the Psalms this last year, just really looking at that very carefully and considering it. How David worship and praised the Lord—that was a priority in his life, even during those times where he found himself in such difficulties. And David, as you notice here, that he writes that I praise you with my whole heart. Again. He didn't praise the Lord half-heartedly. He didn't praise the Lord with this distracted heart. He didn't praise the Lord with a heart that was cold towards the Lord. With my whole heart, I worship and praise you. And I want to be more like that because I know that there have been times in my life, plenty of times, where we come in and whether it's corporate worship. And here's the thing about worship. It's wonderful to come together and worship tonight was such a blessing and to come as we worship together. But worship is really something that we do every single day. It's an attitude of the heart as we Get up, worshipping the Lord, Lord, thank you for your goodness, thank you for what you have done for me and and it is something that we can do throughout the day it 's just worshipping the Lord and and coming to him and giving him praise. With our hearts. And I know there have been times when I've done that that I've been distracted or kind of, you know, half heartedly have done it. And I want to be more like David. I want to be one in my life that, Lord, I give you my praise with my whole heart. My whole heart is given to you, Lord, right now. And that's what David did. And what is interesting as he's praising the Lord here, we continue reading. He says, Before the gods, that is the judges, God's little g, I will sing praise praises to you, I will worship towards your holy temple. We know that this is a reference to God's judges, the leadership of the nation, because you might recall and I'm just gonna read it to you. In Psalm 82, that the sons of Asaph were talking about uh, the gods and, and their injustice uh, at that time that the sons of Asaph were writing Psalm 82. In the history of Israel, as you go through those books, historical books of First and Second Kings and First Chronicles uh, and Second Chronicles, particularly Second Chronicles, in the days of the house of Israel and the house of Judah, the judges were corrupt. They, they weren't judging fairly, and they were considered and Called sons of gods or God's little G because they were the ones that could, you know, execute somebody by their judgment or spare their life. And here in Psalm eighty-two, that God stands in the congregation of the mighty; He judges among the gods, or that is the judges. And how long will you judge unjustly? That is speaking of the leadership. It's speaking of those who would hear people's cases and they were making. Decisions and uh, making judgments that were unjust and show partiality to the wicked. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. And so here is David. It's interesting because I was really thinking about this, that I was going to sing praises before the gods. And I was thinking, why would David write that? He's writing that I'm going to praise the Lord before the leadership, before those who who make judgment calls, those who are supposed to be judging according to God's Word. And I think that the Lord really ministered to my heart and, and ministered to me something that will help us in our day because in our day we see that there are judgments that are made from our leadership, isn't there, that is in direct defiance against the Word of God, isn't it? And it concerns us. And it's been going on for a while. It started, you know, in, you know, in the 70s with Roe versus Wade, Uh, given the legalization of abortion and putting to death the unborn. And then we've seen lately the decisions of five judges concerning marriage. And we know what God's word has to say. That marriage is between a man and a woman. And, and that a man should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's the definition of marriage. Clear back in the garden, they came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 19 and was asking him questions about marriage. And he said, have you not read... And he gives a definition. He puts a stamp of approval of what's told to us in Genesis chapter 2. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And therefore, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. I get to do another wedding on Friday up in the mountains to a young couple. And we have been talking about marriage and what God has to say about marriage. And it's been so wonderful to go through it with them. And they're going to come together and be one flesh as they give their vows and marriage is God's institution holy institution not man's institution man comes along tries to redefine it so as we see these things as we we hear of our president that makes you know this decree that all the public schools are going to have transgender locker rooms and, and restrooms and all that it concerns us doesn't it And it concerns us as we look at the direction and see the direction of our nation spiritually and morally. And we wonder what is going on and how is it that we respond? And I ask those same questions because we can get angry. We can get concerned. We start to worry. And what is David's response here? We know as we look at the word of God. And we see how, as a nation, we're getting further away. Our judges, our leadership from the Lord, making decisions that are in direct defiance against the word of God. We know that we are to be praying. And sometimes as Christians, Christians don't like to hear that. Paul would write about how we're to pray for our leaders. We're to pray for, for those who are, are in governing authorities. We are to be ones, as Peter said, praying for the king and praying for, for those who are in leadership. We may not like that, but that's a commandment that's given to us as Christians, that we are to be praying for our leadership. We're to be praying for those, you know, the president and, and for others. And that is something that sometimes is difficult to do, but we are to pray for them. Think about Paul and Peter. When they wrote that, who was ruling? It was Caesar Nero, And Caesar Nero killed Christians. He persecuted them. He put Paul and, and Peter to death in 67 AD. And yet they give that commandment that's a commandment of the Lord. So we know that we are to be praying for our nation and we know that we are to also to stand for righteousness, aren't we? And I pray that you individually, your family, and this church family, that we would always stand on the truth of God's word. Because, you see, David writes something very interesting here. He says that before the gods I will sing praises to you. I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. Now, that's an amazing statement and truth that David writes, inspired by the Spirit of God, that that you magnify, your word is truth. I praise you for your truth, and your word is magnified above your name. Now, we've talked about just a couple weeks ago that, the, you know, the psalmist who writes, praise the Lord, L-O-R-D, the name of God, translated Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, and they reverence the name of God that they didn't put valves in the name of God. So, uh, you know, they just reverence and didn't want to mispronounce it. And whenever any of the scribes would write the name of God, L-O-R-D, capitalized in your Old Testament, that's the name. That's the name of God. And they reverence the name of God. And here comes Jesus in the New Testament. And he refers to God as his father. And he says, my father. And they were incensed. They were angry. They were full of wrath. How dare he say that? And then when the disciples came and said, teach us to pray, Jesus said, this is how you pray. Our father who art in heaven. And then we know the truth of the New Testament in the book of Romans and Galatians says that you have the spirit of adoption that you can cry out, Abba, Father, because we are adopted sons and daughters of the living God coming in faith through in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us and dying for our sins. That we're adopted and we can cry out as we have an eternal inheritance, but we cry out, Abba, Father, that word Abba literally means Papa. Oh, Papa. My children still call me dad. And they call me dad because they have a relationship with me. Now these kids that are here, I love the kids, but they don't call me dad. They call me pastor. But my kids, they call me dad. And they have a relationship with me and I'll always be their dad. And we have a relationship with the true and living God through Jesus Christ. And we can cry out, Abba, Father. So they reverence the name. And here comes Jesus calling God his father. Oh, my father. And they were incensed by it. And here David writes something that he says he magnifies his word above his name. We need to always keep in mind the importance and the priority And the value of the word of God. We talked a lot about that going through Psalm 119, the longest chapter of the whole Bible, 176 verses. And the emphasis is the benefits and the value of the word of God that is given to us. And here David is saying, you magnify your word above your name. I'm going to praise you in his holy temple. And so our response is, is, that we're to pray for our leadership. We are to stand on the truth of the word of God. And I pray that we would continue to do that as a church, that we would keep priority to study of the word of God. Listen, the word of God and the study of the word of God, in my opinion, is being diminished in the church today. That not only do we believe in the inspiration of the word of God, as Paul, he would write to Timothy and he said in the last days, That it's going to be perilous times. It's going to be difficult times. It's going to be dangerous times of what it means. And there's going to be evil men and imposters that are going to grow worse and worse. And so you must continue, Timothy, not, oh, I think it's a good idea. He said, you must continue in the scriptures which you've known from childhood. Follow my manner of doctrine. And all scripture, not most or some of it, but all scripture, Is inspired by God or God-breathed, and it is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, to thoroughly equip every person for good works for all of us, to equip us to know truth, to know about our God. To know him and to grow in the commandments and truths. There's power in the word of God. And see, we not only believe in the inspiration of the word of God. That is God breathed from Genesis to Revelation. But we also believe in the infallibility of the word of God. And also, listen, this is where I believe the, uh, the word of God. where is really being diminished. In the sufficiency of the word of God. Do you really believe in the sufficiency of the word of God? That the word of God has the answers for every area of your life that it is true for you. There is no other way to grow than to be a student of the word of God and taking the word of God and having it in your heart and yielding in humility to the spirit of God. And if you ever go to a church or a group of, uh, of believers that are having Bible study or a fellowship, whatever it might be, a ministry, where they diminish the word of God, that should be a really a red flag. I remember when we first came to, to Greeley and and we were doing Wednesday nights and, and I was kind of surprised by some of the comments. I, I went to with a fellowship of pastors in town to kind of get to know them. I was the new guy. We started in our home. I didn't even know if we were even going to be at church. And, and I remember just I was so um, discouraged, you know, and, and it wasn't that they were mean or anything, but just kind of you come up and, we didn't go to start a church 101, you know, uh, classes or, or anything like that. We just felt the call of God in our lives and came up. All we knew was John and Becca. We didn't know anybody. We started in our home. We didn't know if anybody was going to come, what was going to happen. But we trusted God. And we're going to have to go through the scriptures. We didn't have a building or anything. And I and remember gathering with some pastors and, they, you know, asking, well, how many do you have? Oh, about five. Where's your building? Don't have a building. What's Calvary Chapel about? We study the Bible, go through it verse by verse. You mean the books of the Bible? Yeah. Why would you want to do that? (laughs) And truly, this is what was told to me. And why would you go through the book of Leviticus? Because, you know, the midweek we started in Genesis, and we're in the New Testament on, on, on Sunday when we started, and we finally got a little facility downtown, just a little bitty place. And I was thrilled to have that. And going through the books of Genesis and Exodus and then Leviticus. And, and I remember in the late 90s, there was this new revival that was going through the churches. And the laughing revival. And the Holy Ghost bartender was going to come to one of the big churches here in Greeley. And they were calling me saying, you need to go to it. And I said, well, you know, I think I'll skip it. But really, um, I remember Wednesday night. And On Wednesday night where the Lord really spoke to me, what I've already talked to you about, being faithful. And wondering if anybody was going to come. We are in the book of Leviticus. And I remember meeting with a group of pastors. They said, Leviticus, why would you go through Leviticus? It, it's not relevant for us today. Why would you go through that book? I said, well, it shows us how to worship and serve and obey a holy God. I think that's pretty important. We can make, you know, application. Why would you go through the book of Revelation? You can't understand Revelation. I said, I think you can understand it. And I remember just being discouraged. And then Wednesday night, we're in Leviticus. And and people were calling and saying, hey, there's this revival. And thousands of people are coming. And you need to come. And Waiting five minutes before 7, wondering if anybody was going to come. And and I went in the back. And I remember thinking, Lord, I just might as well just quit. This, This isn't working. Or maybe I need to do something else. Bring in a little bit of hype or excitement or entertainment. Something. And the Lord said, you just teach the word through the word. You see, there is a difference from teaching from the Bible, which is great. It's wonderful. Than teaching through the Bible. And I want you to teach through the Bible. Paul the Apostle, when he was talking to the Ephesian elders, he said, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God's word. He was talking about the Old Testament scriptures. And I know that the Lord had put on my heart, not that really needed necessarily another church. I I think those who have come and started churches and the work of God, it's wonderful and it's great and it's calling of God. Please don't misunderstand me. But he wanted us to take people through the word of God. And it was about nine years ago that we finished going through the Bible one time, all 66 books, by God's grace. And as soon as we finish the Old Testament, it's going to be number two that we go through if the Lord Terry's. It's going to be a few years before we finish. But I remember I went the next night to that meeting, and it was just packed, this place, big church, and... the Holy Ghost bartender's up there and he's going, people are tired of Bible study. People don't want to study the Bible for an hour. We need to put our Bibles aside and just have a fresh movement of the Spirit. And he'd chuckle and then a few people would chuckle and then it was out of control after that. If you ever hear anybody that says that the Word of God is not important, you get up and you walk out and you don't come back. He magnifies his word above his name. And listen, there is no other shortcut to growing than to be a student of the word of God and yield it to the spirit of God in your life. As you read the word of God and have it in your heart, then yield it to the spirit of God as he's going to enable you to live a life after him. See, we don't have to be in deception. We don't have to be in the darkness. We don't have to be confused because the word of God is so important. Isn't it? Aren't you so thankful? And it's been so wonderful that some of you that are fairly new to Calvary Chapel, are saying we're really growing. We're learning, going through the scriptures. I hope that you are. And it's the Lord that's just touching you with the word of God. So the word of God needs to be a priority in our lives. I remember uh, I was thinking about John chapter six and John chapter 6 is uh, as Jesus was saying that you guys are only coming to me because you're hungry. You want another sandwich. He had fed the 5,000 the day before. And he said, you need to believe in me, the bread of life that comes from heaven. And as you believe in me, you'll never hunger and thirst again. and You'll have everlasting life. And the crowds were saying, this is too hard. And they were beginning to leave. And then Jesus did something. He turned to his disciples and he said, do you want to go with them? And Peter said something so profound. Where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. This is the words of eternal life. Do you believe that the word of God is sufficient for you in every area of your life to give you truth? It's not a truth. It is truth. And if you hear anybody that says, which we're hearing more and more of of liberal pastors that are saying, well, you know, the word of God is evolving. What do you mean the Word of God is evolving? It's established and it's non-changing and it will be established forever. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the Word of God stands and we can understand it and it is truth. So the importance of the Word of God in our lives is the words of eternal life. And may we not dismiss it. And you see, leaders can dismiss it, but it's still true. I'm doing my own devotions in Jeremiah once again. Jeremiah, he was told by the Lord, "You are to to write these things down and take it to Jehoiakim, the king." And it was he was one of the last kings of of Judah, be, you know, before the destruction of of Jerusalem, when Nebuchadnezzar would come in. And so Jeremiah, he does that. He, he, he writes down what the Lord told him and, and gives it to his servant. His servant takes it to Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim takes his knife out and chops it all up and throws it in the fire, dismisses it. And the Lord said, Jeremiah, I want you to write another copy. And you're going to put a little addendum on it. The Jehoiakim's in big trouble. We can be a nation that we dismiss the word of God, but the word of God is going to come to pass, and it is true. And I pray for us that we would not dismiss the word of God in our own lives, personally. The commandments, the precepts, the truths, the principles that we see here, they are beneficial for us and a blessing for us. And it needs to be a high priority. So what's our response When we see the direction of our nation, (laughs) that we pray for our leaders. We stand on the truth of the word of God and we praise him. And that's hard to do. But the Lord is showing me that more and more. That's what David did. He says, I'm going to praise you with my whole heart before the gods. I'm going to sing praises to you. I'm going to worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. Because you've magnified your word above all your name. And in the day when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul as we read in verse 3. And so here is uh, God's word that strengthens us as we worship him It strengthens us. It gives us boldness to proclaim his word. You really want to help somebody? Give them the word of God. Give them truth. Sometimes we can be a little bit hesitant in doing that. We think, well, I don't want to offend them. Listen, the gospel offends. Can we just get that straight right now? Okay. It does offend. And it offends people when they hear that they need to repent and turn to Jesus. Because people, some don't want to do that. A lot of people don't want to do that. Jesus himself said that men love the darkness rather than the light. Because the light exposes the darkness And so there are those who, yes, it is going to offend, but if we really love others, we're going to love them enough to give them the truth of God's word and the gospel message, and you pray. And may they see the reality of Jesus Christ in your life, that you're a man or a woman that follows after the word of God, and I'll tell you that there may come a time when they're confused and they're upset and they don't know where to turn. Guess where they're going to turn to? They're going to turn to the one that there's a peace that passes understanding in their hearts and a joy inexpressible, that there is somebody, that you're different because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's a testimony and a witness to others as we stand on the word of God. So the word of God is we make it a priority as we worship him, it strengthens us, gives us boldness to proclaim his word. And then in verse 4, All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. Speaking of when the Lord comes back, he's going to come back, he's going to establish his kingdom, he's going to judge the nations, he's going to rule and reign. Listen. He's going to rule and reign. And at that time, the kings of the earth are going to look to him. They shall praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of of your mouth. Yes, they shall sing the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Humility is a very important thing in our lives, isn't it? Pride's such a terrible sin. And he's the one that gives grace to the humble, puts down the proud. And we are to be humbled before the Lord as we look to him. He regards the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. So David was one that he always trusted in the Lord, that, Lord, in my trouble, you're going to revive me. You're going to strengthen me. You're there with me. And in verse 8, I love verse 8, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands. I love the promise of verse 8 that the Lord will perfect or that is complete that which concerns me. Isn't that wonderful? It reminds me of what Paul writes in the book of Philippians. He said, being confident, and that word confident is um, absolutely sure of this. No doubt about it. But being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion, especially in the day of Christ Jesus. He's going to complete that work in you, with your family, with this church family. And that comforts me. That comforts me so much. Because he's going to complete that which he has begun in me, in my ministry. There have been times where I thought, oh, Lord, you're going to fire me, right? You're done with me. He says, no. I'm not going to fire you. The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. And you're in my hands. And I haven't lost one. I'm not going to begin with you, Jeff. I'm going to bring it to completion. And when it comes to this church, I can relax because there have been times where I thought the whole thing's going to fall apart, Lord. The whole thing's going down. It's too much. I don't know what I'm doing. And, and, and I can fret and worry. But verses like this in Philippians 1.6 causes me to just rest and relax in the Lord. That, Lord, you know what? We do our best and we commit the rest. I was telling the staff that on, uh, on Tuesdays we meet and we have a little devotion and we pray in our staff meeting. And I was telling them that, you know, this weekend and with Vacation Bible School, uh, we have so much that we need to do and there's so many details. And we're going to do our best, but then we're going to commit the rest. And I want us to really enjoy it. I really want us to have a thankful heart. And if the tent falls down and the sound system blows up, so be it. All right? If the kids are eating grass, you know... <laughs> We're going to praise the Lord. I remember when we were first at church in in 1996. And we had our first Christmas Eve service. There was about... 30 of us and I was so nervous and even had some family member that was there and had the Christmas Eve service and doing it and I was so excited and then all of a sudden all in the middle of the teaching somebody came in and started yelling somebody who had a little bit too much Christmas cheer as we were downtown and he came in and he just you know interrupted the service and yelled and, and we got him out but it just rattled me and it bothered me a lot and I thought, Lord, why did that happen? And, and no one's going to come back and we'll never have another Christmas Eve service. And <laughs> I did. I really thought that. I was bothered for a couple months. The, the, the whole thing's going to you know, shut down and fall apart. And here it is 20 years later. His faithfulness and His goodness. He's going to complete that. The Lord will perfect that. That concerns us. He's going to complete it, and not only with this ministry, but with you, and what that should do is cause you to leave here just rejoicing that, Lord, what you've begun, you're going to see me through. You just yield to him. You rest in that promise, and let him do what he wants to do in your life, and that causes me to just worship him and to be thankful to him. Lord, you're going to be faithful and what you want to do in my life. You're going to perfect that, which concerns me. Your mercy, O oh Lord, endures forever. Remember last week, Psalm 136, as we, we read that in, in alteration of those 26 verses, his mercy endures forever. 26 times, his mercy endures forever. And so the whole point is, his mercy endures forever. Amen. There's not a limit to his mercy. I don't have any mercy for you. For you I do, but not for you. His mercy endures forever. And don't forsake the works of your hands. In other words, he's not going to forsake the work of his hands in your life. He's going to complete it. He's going to perfect it. So a wonderful psalm of David, and then for the chief musician, a psalm of David, Psalm One Thirty Nine. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down, my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. And there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged behind uh, me, behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge, verse 6, is too wonderful for me. It is high I cannot attain it. So as we read this very special psalm of David, the Lord knows us intimately. Uh, He is all knowing. Uh, He knows us better than we know ourselves. And, And he knows us better than anybody else knows you. Now, when you get married, you know your spouse pretty good, don't you? And, and it's, it's wonderful to talk to somebody who's been married 40, 50, 60 years with somebody. They really know each other, that, that couple. They know each other so well. But the Lord knows you even more and better. He knows every detail. He knows every word that you speak. He knows every thought that you think. He, know the, he knows the depths of your heart. He knows everything about you. And we can say, well, I know them. Well, you don't know them as well as the Lord. And here's the thing that amazes me, because Jeremiah says that our hearts are desperately wicked and and deceitful. And the depths of our hearts, the things that, that we can think in our mind that nobody else knows, the Lord knows, every thought. You know, if you knew... Some of my thoughts are my hearts and my past. If you knew that, like God did, you'd probably get up and walk out and never come back. But here's the amazing thing. The one who knows me best loves me the most. And that's what's incredible. The one who knows me most loves me. The one who knows me the best loves me the most. He searches our hearts. He knows about our day. He knows everything that we do. He's all-knowing. Everything is open and naked before him, as Hebrew chapter 4 declares to us. And then David goes on and he says, that such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Just to know that, Lord, you know my lying down. You understand my thoughts from far off. You're acquainted with my ways You see me, you hear me, you know everything about me. And then verse 7, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? He's all present, omnipresent. You cannot hide from the Lord. Now, what should that do for you and for me as his children? Shouldn't that comfort us? Because have we ever felt like, Lord, do you know where I'm at right now? Do you know the struggles? Do you you even see me? Do you even care about me? And here, David, he's not exaggerating here in this chapter. He's speaking wonderful truths to us. Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bell in hell, behold, you're there. You're there everywhere that I'm at. And it reminds me as David, he would write in Psalm 61 that even as I find myself at the ends of the earth, I'm going to cry out to you for you are my shelter and I'll be under the shadows of your wings even at the ends of the earth. And he was writing that when he was at the end of his world. And you may be here tonight that you see yourself or you find yourself at the end of your world and you're wondering, Lord, where are you? He knows where you're at. He's here. If you're in the heavens, if you're, you know, on the earth, wherever, in Sheol, under the earth, he is there and he promises he'll never leave you or forsake you. Jim Irwin, one of the Apollo astronauts who walked on the moon. And I remember when I first became a Christian, he went to Calvary Chapel in Colorado Springs. And he died at a fairly young age. He was in his 40s. He had a heart attack. But I heard his testimony one time. And he, Jim Irwin, maybe rings a bell with some of us that are a little bit older. that He was one of those adventurous guys. He, he was one that was looking for Noah's Ark, you know, and Mount Sinai and and all of that. And he never really got to uh, do a whole lot of that because he died, I believe, at the age of 44, if I'm correct. But I remember hearing his testimony, how he was on the moon, and he was looking back on the earth, and he was going, oh, God. You're so incredible. To love us to where you would save that planet. And I remember when he was speaking. You know, he's on the moon, and the presence of the Lord was with him. And on Sunday, as we talk about First Chronicles, chapter sixteen, verses eight through twelve. David, he brings the Ark of the Covenant up from Kirjath-Jerim to Jerusalem and he has it there because he wants to establish a central place of worship, but he wants the presence of the Lord to be there. I want your presence because I know that my kingdom cannot be and I can't be a king the way that I should be and receive all that you have without your presence. Uh, the, the Shekinah glory of God, uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat and, and the Lord said to Moses, I'll dwell between the cherubim, I'll meet with my people. I want it there. The Lord is with you and he'll never leave you or forsake you wherever you are at, even if you find yourself at the end of the earth and you're wondering, Lord, do you see me? You can't flee from him. So may you be comforted tonight, but also what it does that it causes me to live in the fear of the Lord that we've talked about. The fear of the Lord of knowing that He knows every word, He knows every thought, He knows every action, He sees me, and I don't want to live a life where it's displeasing to the Lord. Now I know that my heart goes astray. You know Jesus, he set the standard higher, didn't He? He said on the Sermon on the Mount, "You've heard it said of old that you shall not commit murder, but you hate your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. It's a heart issue. But this causes me to walk in the fear of the Lord. I don't want to do anything in my life that displeases you, Lord, because you do see and you do know. And as I know that you're with me, I have the confidence that you're going to guide me. Listen, the Lord wants the very best for you. Do you believe that? He wants the very best for me. He wants the very best for this church. He wants the very best. And he's already proven that he's going to do the very best because he's given us the very best, his son. And I think that sometimes we can think, oh, Lord, you don't care about me. You're indifferent about me. (laughs) Lord, do you really see me? Do you really want to guide me? Yes, he does. He wants to guide you, even as your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. He wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, even as Paul would say that prayer there in Ephesians chapter three. He wants the very best for you. So why would you want to hide from him? You can't hide from him if you wanted to. But he wants to do incredible work in our lives. In verse 13, for you formed my inward parts; You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book they were all written, the day's fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. Lord knew you from the very time his presence was with us since the conception of birth. And I love this. You formed me in my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I'm going to praise you. What does that remind you of? It reminds me of in Luke's gospel. You remember Luke's gospel? And it was Luke that that records that Elizabeth and, and Zacharias conceived and Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist and then Mary got the announcement That you're carrying the Christ child, and that which is conceived in you is of the Holy Spirit. So Mary went to see Elizabeth, and when Elizabeth saw Mary, and Mary, you know, was telling her that uh, of the incredible thing that happened to her, that it tells us in Luke's Gospel that that John inside the womb of Elizabeth, who was about six months pregnant at that time, leaped with joy, leaped with joy. The Lord, His presence. From the time of conception. And he made us. Fearfully and wonderfully. I am made. Uh, My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret. Skillfully wrought in the lowest parts. Your eyes saw my substance. Being yet unformed. The sanctity of life. The great sin of our nation. And putting to death the unborn the sin of our nation. There is forgiveness. There is forgiveness. And I pray for our nation that we would turn away from that sin as millions and millions of unborn children have been put to death. The Lord values life. And he's the author of life. And he knows us, and he has made us. He knows what you do, he knows where you are, and he knows who you are. And he made you, and you are no accident. You might be thinking here, oh, my you know, parents, I was an accident. You weren't an accident. Because the Bible even says that he knew you before the foundations of the world, and has a wonderful plan for you. He has a wonderful plan for you. And you are created for his good pleasures. You are his workmanship, Poia. You are his poem, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And great is the day when we understand that, that I was created not just for me, I'm going to live for myself, or I'm going to live for the world. But I was created for your good pleasures, Lord. The day that we understand that and really believe that and begin to pursue that, Lord, I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to die to self, pick up my cross and follow after you. Great is that day where you will truly have joy and you'll have fulfillment and satisfaction and you'll begin to experience that abundant life. Has a wonderful plan for you. Just trust him. Why? Because you're going to perfect that which concerns me. You're going to finish it. I can't wait to see what the Lord is going to do with us. I think the best is yet to come for you and for this church. I really do. I really believe that. And so he is wanting to do marvelous things. And listen, you're no accident. You're not invaluable to the Lord. He made you. He created you. He knows all about you. And listen, this is also some verses that you can show because we hear so much about transgender and trans this and that. And, you know, people are confused and. He's the potter, we're the clay. The clay doesn't say to the master potter, Why did you make me this way? He wonderfully made us. Fearfully and wonderfully we're made. Marvelous are your works. My frame was not hidden from you. He didn't make mistakes. He didn't make mistakes. And sometimes we don't always understand everything or when things happen or defects or whatever may happen. But he made you and he loves you the way you are. And again, he desires to be glorified through your life. Your eyes saw my substance. You know, it reminds me so much. Um, Here is your frame was not hidden. I was made in secret. You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. Jeremiah chapter one, the Lord said to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born. I sanctified you. And Paul said the same thing in the New Testament in chapter one. But it pleased God who separated from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. And he wants to do a work in your life. So here, David writes something that's wonderful. And then verse 17, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. That, again, this is not an exaggeration. How precious are your thoughts towards me, O God. I think, Lord, do you even think about me? Maybe once in a while he thinks about me. I mean, he's got five billion people on the planet. Do you think about me? And here David says something. Oh, your precious are your thoughts towards me. Oh, God, how great is the sum of them? Now, the sand, it's more than the number than the sand. You can go to different beaches. Probably some of you have been to a number of beaches. California, the East Coast, the Gulf Coast, and Mexico. You can go to the beach. in Hawaii, you can go to the beach in, you know, in uh, Europe, in Africa. And if you just go to one beach and you pick up a handful of sand and just let it, Go through your hand. How many grains of sand is there? That's just one handful of all the sand? In other words, David's saying he continually thinks about you. Don't think that the Lord doesn't think about you. And then, as Jeremiah twenty-nine eleven, as many of you know the verse, that I know my thoughts toward you, says the Lord, the thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. How wonderful how wonderful the sums of it! How wonderful the Lord is—he he thinks of us continually. And oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God! Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O oh Lord, who hate you? Do, and do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a the perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Uh, those who come against the Lord. He's saying, David, that if they're your enemies, then I'm with you, Lord, is what he's saying. Uh, he hates them with a the perfect hatred. It's not like David's going around saying, I hate your guts. And that's what we're to do. We hate the sin, the rebellion. We're to love the sinner. And then in verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there's any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. I think this is a good way to end tonight. Listen, one important thing that we learned from David. David wasn't afraid to say, Lord, you search me and try me, my heart. And that's something may we do daily. May we do it right now. Lord, you search me and try me. If there's anything, because you know I can't hide from you. You know every thought. You know everything about me. You know the depths of my heart. You made me. You created me. You're all-knowing. You're all-powerful. You know where I am. I can't hide anything. So search me, Lord, and try me and see if there's any wicked way in me. And listen, if he brings conviction, it's because he loves you and he wants to draw you to himself. It's not to push you away, but for you to come. And just as the word of God brings correction to us, the spirit of God desiring to to chasten us, to discipline us because of his love for us and to enable us to give up those things that need to go to be free from those things that perhaps just captivate our hearts that shouldn't, and, and, and to be able to do that work that he wants to do, to conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. And it takes being willing to say, here's my heart, Lord, daily. Any pride, any sin, any carnality, the bondage, The things like that, Lord, I give it to you because his word is sufficient and he's all powerful, yielding to the spirit of God who enabled us to live that life that he wants us to live. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for these two psalms that are so powerful. And, Lord, I thank you that you made us. You know everything about us. You formed us. You know every thought. You know where we're at. And your thoughts towards us are very precious. Because you love us. So I pray that tonight, first of all, as you know the depths of our hearts, that we would open our hearts to you right now. our hearts go before you. And in the honesty of our hearts, we would give to you right now. I pray for the heart that perhaps there may be somebody here that they have not given their life to you, surrendered their life to you, come to you and asked you To save them through Jesus Christ. To ask Jesus into their hearts and surrender to him. To be born again. To be forgiven and have true relationship with you. I pray for that individual if there's anyone here. That Jesus does love you. He knew you before the world was even made. And when he went to the cross... He went to, because he loves you and wants to save you. He is your salvation. I'm amazed how many people think that Christianity is about a religion. It's about relationship. You see, religion says this is what you have to do to earn salvation, God's approval. Christianity is about relationship and it's based on what he did. He did the work. He died for your sins. He was put into a grave and he rose again and now you come. And as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, that you're saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourselves, not of works. It's the gift of God, lest any man should boast. It's the free gift as you come and you recognize that you are a sinner in need of the Savior Jesus who died for you. If you've never given your life to Jesus, say a church isn't going to save you, a pastor isn't going to save you. You can't save yourself. Only Jesus, who died for your sins. And the invitation is given to you right now to call upon his name. to pray, Jesus, I come and I surrender my life to you. I ask that you would forgive me a sinner. And I believe that you died for my sins. Forgive me. And that you were put into a grave and you rose again. And you conquered sin and death and you're alive. Knocking on the door of my heart and I open my heart to you. I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. I surrender my life to you. And I want to follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name. And again, if you prayed that prayer as we conclude the service, I want to be up here to pray with anybody that needs prayer. You come and tell me the decision that you made. But Lord, I also, as we just got a few minutes left, that I pray as we allow you to search our hearts. Maybe we've been distant from you. Maybe walking in disobedience. Maybe enamored with some things of the world. Maybe just distracted. Your people right now, as they come before you, in the honesty of their hearts, lay it before him right now. He loves you. You can't hide from him. And allow him to minister to your heart, to forgive you, to encourage you. Maybe you've thought, Lord, you don't care about me, and now you know God's word declares that he does love you and he thinks about you constantly, and he's with you. Just give your heart to the Lord right now. Allow him to search and try. And if there's anything that is unlike him, anything that hurts him, anything that is displeasing to him, confess it. Being in agreement that, Lord, this is wrong, and I really believe through your word that you want to do so much in my life. So help me to walk with you, to, to walk in obedience and humility, to worship you and to trust that you're going to perfect that which concerns me, and that you want the very best for me. Father, I pray for Calvary Chapel Greeley, that we would be a group of believers humble before you, that we would magnify you and glorify your name, not our own name. But, Lord, that what has begun in the Spirit we would never try to perfect in the flesh. And, Lord, knowing that you've just begun to do work, you want to do so much more. We're thankful for what you've done. We remember what you have done. But Lord, we also look forward to what you want to do. I pray that there be unity in one heart. That we keep our eyes on you. And Lord, you've given us the privilege to minister in these days. So we pray. We pray for our land. We pray for our nation. That there be a turning back to you and turning away from our sins. The depravity, the darkness, the sinfulness, Lord, it's all around us. And it concerns us. And we pray that there be revival. It would start here. It would start with your church. Standing on truth. Declaring you. May we be a church that we prioritize your word in our hearts. And not diminish it. And worshiping you praising you and declaring you father I pray that that we always keep our eyes on you and looking for your son's return I pray that we would go out of this place being a light to others reaching this community for Jesus Christ through the airwaves of grace FM through the outreach of Vacation Bible School, Lord, I pray that we would touch the hearts of many children and their families this coming week. That they would learn that they're not a product of evolutionary processes. you made them. And you want to save them. And you have a plan for them. Lord, that we would be a license sit on a hill and Lord that as people come they talk to us individually as they come to this place they would perceive your presence and your love here may you always be magnified Father I pray that you bring healing to those who need a healing maybe physically pray that you would touch and Lord I pray that you bring healing to those who are hurting those who are sad and and wounded of heart. Lord, I pray that you bring provision for those who have need, that you would bring comfort to those who need it, that you bring direction to those who need to be guided and directed. Lord, that you would just bring blessing to your people. Show yourself strong. And you promised that you would for that heart that is loyal towards you. Thank you for tonight, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, amen.